We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 14 in just a couple of minutes. Uh, But as we start this morning, I want to ask a question for you to consider, and the question is this. When have you seen God use your generosity to impact another person's life? When have you seen God use your generosity to impact another person's life? Now, it doesn't just mean uh, a financial impact. It could be that you were generous with your time or you were generous uh, with your your care or you were generous with with some some resource that God had given you and it was used uh, for his glory to help someone else. This morning as we begin the sermon, I'm going to show you a quick little story on the screen, a video story I want you to watch. And it's one of the folks in our own congregation talking about how God used a whole bunch of you to impact his life. So watch that. My name's Dave Lutz. I've been a part of Green Tree for roughly four years. I have three stepchildren that I married into who are 39, 37, and 33. I have a daughter with my wife who's 25, and I have seven grandkids that are from ages 14 to five. My wife and I were looking for a church, and we had seen the sign, and we came there, and I told her at the time that I didn't want to go to a church that met in a cafeteria. It was the right thing to do because I was welcomed with open arms, and I've been coming to Green Tree for four years now, and last December I became a member. For the first time in my life, a sermon was actually getting through to me. You could connect with it, you know? Everything was explained. I never had the Bible explained to me before, the way it's explained in the sermons at Green Tree. It's very understandable, it's very inspiring. I've never seen a bad one. I've had a pretty easy life, I have to say, the first 49 years of my life, but the past four years, after coming to Green Tree, I've had the hardest and biggest challenges that I've ever had in my life. In July of 2009, I lost a brother in a car wreck. And for the first time, I actually had a church that was there for me. It helped me through this very, very, very hard time. And I got through that, and then the next big challenge happened because my wife was diagnosed with cancer back in 2011. and. She fought a long, hard fight, but she lost her battle in June of 2012. Everybody's been so helpful to me since that's happened. Really got me through a very, very difficult, difficult time. The hardest thing I've ever had to deal with in my life. Pastors will call me up. People will see me at the service and ask how I'm doing, how my family's doing, anything they can do. The prayer teams are always offering up their prayers. And Green Tree's been there with me all the way, all the way. I think God has actually called to me and chosen me to do the grief share for this church. And I would really, really like to do that to help people out who have gone through the same thing that I have gone through. Be there to listen to them talk, cry, and let them know that, you know, Jesus is there to help them. He's he's right there sitting right next to you with his arm around you, letting you know that he is, he's crying right with you. He is is there to help. Looking to the future of our church, I'm so excited about having our own building. I think it's gonna be amazing. I think it'll do nothing but help us, the city of Kirkwood, and anybody else who needs us. It'll keep us around for a very, very long time. There to help, which is what they've done for me so well.
I don't think the, the folks who uh, gathered around Dave and helped him uh, through some of the things he, he mentioned on the screen did that because they set out to say, I want to be generous with, with my time or my ability or, or the resources that I have. I think it just kind of flowed out of them because of the relationship that they have with Jesus. And Dave's story is not unlike many of our stories who, who, if we just kind of did an open mic this morning, we could talk of ways that God has brought people into our lives and through, through their generous giving of time or some resource they had, impacted us in a tremendous way because it's a reflection of God's generosity. And so that's what we, we want to see this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me give you the sermon in just a sentence this morning uh, just to kind of get our bearings straight. As God's generosity flows to us, it begins to flow through us, resulting in others being blessed and God being glorified. And that's, that's, that's the sermon in a nutshell. And we're going to look at each of those statements. The idea that God's generosity flows to us, we're going to consider that in 2 Corinthians 9, and then how it begins to flow through us. And then the end result being that people are, are cared for, people are blessed, and God is glorified. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 through 14, hear the word of God. Paul, writing about God the Father, says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ, and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to study your word this morning, we pray that you would engage uh, our intellect and our emotions at the same time. Lord, we pray that this just wouldn't be a study in knowing something more than we knew before we came in the door. Nor, Father, would we want it to be just something that stirs in our hearts for a few moments and, and inspires us, but there's no lasting impact on our lives. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would take your word and, and apply it deeply to each one of our hearts and our minds. Father, I pray for us as, as a spiritual family this morning. We are uh, embarking on, on an exciting journey and a challenging journey all at the same time. Uh, and Satan will want to uh, confuse us. He'll want to divide us. He will want to do anything in his power to keep us from uh, following the pathway that you have laid out for us. And so we pray for your protection. And part of your protection is in your word. Part of your protection for your people is knowing the truth so that we can distinguish the truth from a lie. And so we pray that your truth would be proclaimed this morning, not my opinions, they're of no consequence. We pray that the eternal, honest communication of God to people who need so desperately a Savior would be what rings true in our hearts and that it would do its work in our lives, whether this is the first Sunday we've ever set foot in a church or whether we've been going to church so long we can't even remember the first time whether we're here this morning claiming to be a disciple of Jesus or here this morning as just a, a casual inquirer or here this morning because somebody asked us to come and we were too polite to say no. 
Father, whether we're here this morning filled with joy or overflowing with anxiety that we just aren't sure we can control, we thank you that you know us. We thank you that you care for us. And we thank you that you promised to teach us. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and do that. Forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know and learn and apply to our lives today. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, basically what we're going to spend the next few minutes doing is parsing that sermon in a sentence. We're going to look at it in terms of God's generosity to us. Uh, then we're going to look at God's generosity through us. Where, do, where does that generosity go? And then what's the impact of the blessing on others and the glory of God? So first of all, God's generosity to us. Look at, at verses 10 and 11, and I've underlined some things here to kind of point out what we want to get to. He says, he who supplies, so he's talking about God, is the supplier. He who supplies just the, the seed to the sower, bread for food in, in everyday life, will supply and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way in order to be generous, so on and so forth. God is the one who provides all that is necessary to the end that we can be generous, to the end that we can be used by him to care for others in whatever circumstances God may bring across our pathway. You may have cared for someone this week by simply getting on the phone with them and spending 10 minutes listening to them talk about some of the struggles they're in. You may, have, you may have seen someone who was in, in need financially and you cared for them this week. You may have seen someone who just needed a, a kind word and you took time out of your day to make sure that you offered that kind word. But God is the one who supplies the opportunities for us as well as the ability to be generous. So you think about what God has provided and it's listed here implicitly throughout this text. I'm just going to mention a few things that are certainly uh, understood by the Apostle Paul, and he speaks of them in other places in First and Second Corinthians. First of all, God has provided for us the gospel of salvation. Uh, those of us who are disciples of Jesus are disciples of Jesus by God's grace. We have been saved. If, if you're new to Christianity, you're exploring Christianity, uh, and, and somebody told you that that's kind of where all the good people congregate, then uh, you're, you're probably going to experience some disappointment with this group along the way because we're not good people. We're people that are saved. We're people that have experienced God's grace. And so the first thing that God gives to us freely is the gospel. He also gives us his Holy Spirit. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 in particular where he talks about the body of Christ and how the Holy Spirit is given to us and the Spirit in turn gives us gifts, gives us gifts of teaching, gives us gifts of hospitality, gifts of leadership, gifts of, of speaking in tongues and miraculous healings. All those different gifts are the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and God gives that freely to us. He doesn't wait for you to get to a certain point in your faith. Say, okay, now you're deep enough. Now you can have the Spirit of God. Before you even thought about putting your faith in Christ, the Spirit of God was at work in your heart and your mind, and that continues if you're a disciple of Jesus. But beyond that, God gives us personalities, and God gives us talents. He gives us passions in certain areas. He gives us interest in a particular, in a particular area. As I look around this room and I think about what's represented in this worship service, when it comes to different personalities, some of you are very gregarious. Some of you are very, very quiet, and we need both of those. Some of you are interested in, in working with your hands. 
and caring for the physical needs of others. Some of you are interested in, in working with your, in your mind and your teaching abilities to, to share the gospel in, in, a, in a verbal communication or in writing. Some of you uh, who have been up here on the stage use your gifts and talents and your voices to sing the praises of God and bring other people along. Thank God that there's so many different and varied personalities and interests and passions. God gives those to us. He places those in our hearts. Some of you go to, to Mexico every January. You wouldn't miss that trip for your life, while others of you do teaching to little ones in Sunday school every Sunday in a way that just boggles my mind. You're so good at it. God gives us the opportunity to be used by him to care for others. It's God's generosity to us. And our financial resources are not outside of that, of that paradigm. God gives us the financial resources to be used for his glory. Why does God lavish us with all of these resources? Why does God give us so generously? Well, if you look at verse 11, it says you will be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way. The reason we are given these gifts are in order for us to share them with others. So I'm asking a question at the bottom. How are we leveraging our God-given riches of our time and our treasure and our talent? Do you and I look at our lives in, in the context of our faith and understand that we play in a very important role, that we have a place to, to be used by God that no one else is going to fill, that it's just for us? Um, Brad read to us this week. We, he uh, gave us a devotional this week, and he read... Uh, from one of uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia, read from the magician's nephew, and it got me thinking about this idea of being given gifts to use for others. And I was thinking about a scene in the uh, in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, in which they uh, the Aslan, who's the Christ figure, uh, rescues some of the some of his followers from the clutches of the evil queen, and then they go to reinforce the rest of uh, their compatriots who are battling this evil witch. And when they come upon the battle, there's a, there's a girl with Aslan, with the Christ figure, whose name is Lucy. And she was given a gift of a little jar of ointment that would be used for healing others. And when they come upon the battlefield, Lucy finds one of her brothers who's been engaged in the fight near death. And that's where we pick up the story. I'm just going to read two or three paragraphs. His name is Edmund. They found Edmund in the charge of Mrs. Beaver a little way back from the fighting line. He was covered with blood. His mouth was open. His face was a nasty green color. Quick, Lucy, said Aslan. And then, almost for the first time, Lucy remembered the precious cordial that had been given to her for a Christmas present. Her hands trembled so much that she could hardly undo the stopper, but she managed it and, in the end, poured a few drops into her brother's mouth. There are other people wounded said Aslan, while she was still looking eagerly into Edmund's pale face, wondering if the cordial would really have any result. Yes, I know, said Lucy crossly. Wait just a minute. Daughter of Eve, said Aslan, in a, in a graver voice. Others are also at the point of death. Must more people die for Edmund? He's alluding back to Edmund's uh, betrayal earlier in the book from which he had been uh, redeemed. Edmund is, is kind of the picture of, of all of us. But it's interesting that, that Lewis picks up on this idea that a gift is given for the care of others. God has been generous to Green Tree in so many ways, it's impossible for us 
to mention, as I said, the, the story as it was on the screen, I, you know, you can think of, of, of hundreds of other stories like that one or similar to that one where God has been generous to us. Will we continue to, to allow that generosity not only just to flow to us, but will we be passionate about our enrichment to the end that we may be generous in every way? Which leads us to the second observation in this, in this sentence is God's generosity to us then flows through us for certain results. Let's look at God's generosity through us. In verse 15, or excuse me, 13, Paul writes this. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospels of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and to all the others. And I've jotted down there at the bottom that order is important, that Paul leads us from confession to submission to contribution. He actually mentions submission first, but notice that he says submission that comes from your confession of the gospel. So let's look at this generosity that is to flow through us. How do we be used by God to this end? Well, the first thing we must do as disciples of Christ is submit ourselves to the will of God. Now you say, well, Tom, that, that kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? And I would say on some levels, yes, it does. But I have found in my own personal life that living with, with an, a complete abandonment to everything else other than my devotion to Jesus is a challenge. I find that that's a challenge every day of my life. I find that there are a lot of other things that, that try to get my attention, that try to um, cause me to... Uh, rethink my priorities, as it were. And I need to be reminded that generosity will not flow through me unless I am submitted to the Lordship of Christ. He is my Savior and He is my Lord. He gets the final say in my life. Whatever the area of my life may be, if I'm thinking about my marriage, I go to Scripture to learn how to be a husband to Cindy. If I'm thinking about being a parent or now being a grandparent, I go to Scripture to learn what it means to be a parent or a grandparent as a disciple of Jesus, and I don't get to rewrite the pages of Scripture. I don't get to say, Lord, that's pretty good advice, but I've got some new ideas that I want to try out here that go against your word. Submission in the life of the disciple is absolutely vital for each and every one of us. If we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be his disciples, we must live in devotion to his lordship. And Paul points this out. He says to the Corinthians, your submission led you somewhere. Your submission led you to a confession of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. We claim to be his followers. Verse 13, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing out of your confession of the gospel of Christ. We don't confess anything other than Jesus as Lord and Savior. We don't believe because Scripture doesn't teach us that there are multiple pathways to God. Scripture teaches us that we're all miserably lost, that we have no hope of finding God. We're actually in rebellion and against Him, and God loved His enemies, that being you and me. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And our confession is that Jesus is our Savior and Lord, and we are His disciples, which means we're going to follow Him in every area of our life. So I have to ask the question, does my confession hold water? <laughs> is it true? Is it practical in my life? Or are there behaviors or there thought patterns or there are there habits that I'm in that don't resemble being a disciple of Jesus? 
I was thinking about this yesterday, and I'm sitting in my office, and I'm kind of tidying up my sermon, just kind of going over to my mind. And I have my window open because it's pretty warm, and I, I get these wonderful lessons that happen outside the window of my office. And sure enough, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm reading, and I'm kind of looking, and, I'm, and the window's right here. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a couple of runners going by, and my window's open, and I can hear them talking. And I just happen to glance out the window, and, it, and it's two women, and they're running by. And right in front of my window, one of the women stops, and she goes, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, a dime. <laughs> and she picks this dime up, and she puts it in her pocket, and she runs off. Now... I think the shoes she was wearing probably cost $150. <laughs> I've been with Cindy to Lululemon, and I have a general idea of what workout clothes uh, cost for, for and, and she wasn't running in a, an old pair of shorts. Uh, you know, she had probably spent a couple hundred dollars to find this dime. <laughs> and uh, how excited she was to find this dime was... Uh, was astounding to me. So that got me to thinking because I'm a little bit of a social scientist. So I went outside after they ran by and I put a quarter back down to see. Do <laughs> you know it was still there this morning? All that rain last night didn't wash it away. This guy walked his dog by my office at 7 o'clock and I was peering outside just staring at him and he kind of glanced over me and I'm like, <laughs> well, he won't come to Green Tree. <laughs> Police may show up here. Um, but you know what? I'm chuckling, but I'm not because that was a picture of my life. I'm dressed in the robes of Christ's righteousness and a little shiny object of, of no value whatsoever in comparison gets my attention and draws me away from my identity in Christ. Might be my anger and I just feel like I have the right right now to be angry and I'm, I'm going to pick up that anger and I'm going to hold it for all it's worth. Might be that I just insist on, on being right in an argument with my spouse, and, and I want to win the argument so much more than winning my spouse's heart that I'm just not going to look anything at all like Jesus. Friends, that's a challenge that we face individually. It's also a challenge we face as a congregation. Will our lives match our confession, which comes out of our submission to Christ? If I'm being submissive to my Lord and I get crossways with my spouse, the pathway is pretty easy. It's a pathway of repentance. It's a pathway of submitting to his lordship and allowing him to have the final word in my life. Do we look like Jesus? Paul said to the Corinthians, well, your contribution certainly looks like Jesus because it is a sacrificial type of contribution. They will glorify God because of your submission flowing out of your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them as well as for all others. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about a sacrifice on the part of the Corinthians that would lead to the salvation and the care of others. As we've been talking about this one fund in the next couple of years, and we've been talking about the opportunity to put our roots down deeply into, uh, into Green Tree, it's been theory up to this point. It's been, um, it's been communication of an idea up to this point. But last Sunday night, the leadership of the church got together, and we had a worship time, and the, everybody was invited. We had 100-something people showed up at the Magic House. It was a uh, just a wonderful night of worship. But one of the things that we invited folks to do is if you would like to bring your commitment card, if you already know what you, what you want to give, come on and, and bring your card. And 51 of us brought our cards last Sunday night to, uh, to the worship time. I'm going to share some numbers with you, not because numbers are important for the sake of, of numbers alone, but because I think it points to what God is doing in the hearts of the people at Green Tree. One of the things that was, was fascinating to me 
last Sunday. And I, by the way, I never know names with numbers, so I have no idea who gives what, and I, and I, and I won't ever know that at Green Tree. But it was fascinating to me that out of the, I said 51, 52 new, uh, uh, 52 pledges and promises were given. 11 of them came from people who had never given anything at all to Green Tree. That God had moved in their hearts that now was the moment when he was saying to them, it's your turn, it's your opportunity, and they were going to take advantage of that. Porter told me he did some math on it. He's our business manager, and people were given an average of three times more than what they normally give in any given year. That was astounding to me. He talked about one, uh, one gift that, that someone was going from giving uh, $2,400 over a couple of years to giving $6,000 over a couple of years. He shared with me one card that he saw where a person was going from giving $40,000 a year to 200, or for two years to $250,000 for two years. I don't share these numbers with you because I, I want to make it all about the financial part of it, but I want you to see the generosity behind it. I want you to see that the contribution is based on a, on a confession of being disciples of Jesus. So I, I want you to understand that it comes out of submissiveness to what we believe the Lord is calling us to. I also want to mention to you Wednesday night and Brad's party because we had a lot of fun and there was a lot of roasting going on, uh, which I thought was, was really cool uh, and fun. And I took part in a little bit of it as well. But there was one young man that stood up and talked, and he was from Lindbergh High School. And, and I, Brad had met him several years ago and had befriended him. And he got up to, to share. And we all thought he was going to kind of you know, crack some jokes and kind of make fun. And he started tearing up. And I thought, oh, he went to the same seminary I did and learned how to, learn how to, how to, how to cry in, in a sermon. And the reason he was tearing up was because he said, you know, when, when Brad befriended me, when, when we got to know each other, um, I was in a terrible place. My parents were going through a divorce, and he kind of laid out, you know, what was going on in his life. And he said, and, and I remember, you know, sitting on the steps of a certain building and, and praying to receive Jesus. And that would have never happened if, if Brad hadn't been there for me. And, and I don't say that to pat Brad on the back, although that, that, that's fair. I say that to say there's, there's a contribution, <laughs> And how do, you, how do you put an amount on that? How do you put an amount on somebody's soul that's changed for all of eternity? That's God's generosity through us. God has been generous to us in order that he might be generous through us. So are we praying about our generosity? Or am I finding reasons to, to kind of hold back and hold on to that which I perceive to be mine? So we're going to pick the sentence apart. The, the, the last part of this sentence is that God's generosity flows to us. It begins to flow through us, resulting in what? In others being blessed and God being glorified. Look at verses 12 and 13. The ministry of service is not only for supplying the needs of the saints, but also for the overflowing thanksgiving of God. And he talks about the submission that comes from your confession and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Meeting the needs of the saints, contributing for them and others, means that people will praise God. It means that people will be helped. They'll be strengthened in some way. It may be that they come to Christ for the first time for salvation, or it may mean that, that in some way we help with a physical need or an emotional need of theirs. But the end result is that because of us allowing God's generosity to flow through us, they benefit. We are a blessing to others. About five years ago, in a, in a meeting with our elders, there was a young man that was coming to come under the care of our session because he wanted to go into full-time ministry. And basically, when somebody comes and wants to go to seminary and they, they want the oversight of the elders, 
you ask them to tell their story. How did you come to faith in Christ? Well, this young guy starts telling the story, and he says, you know, I was in middle school, and a buddy of mine was going to this camp, and I didn't know anything about Christianity. I didn't even know what a Bible was, but I went to this camp, and I heard this story about Jesus and about my sin, and I realized that, that I was a sinner. And he, and he talks about his conversion, and he talks about coming to Christ and how that was the thing that changed him. From that moment on, he knew that he wanted to serve God in some way full time. And he said, now you've, this was out in Colorado. You've probably never heard of this camp, but this camp was called the Great Escape. And my, my, it, my face, if I had a poker face, it was gone at that moment. My jaw just dropped. I was one of the four people that started that camp. I was there when that kid came to Christ. I was there the, the night that that happened. I was part of the people that said, we got to have a time where kids can, can put their faith in Christ. And my little teeny tiny contribution came full circle back to me several years later in a way I never imagined. And here I am humbled and encouraged by the fact that God would use that. And then he would, he would just kind of have a little fun with me and say, now, Tom, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little insight. Look at this. <laughs> Tom, maybe that will cause you to trust me and be even more generous. Because there are more lives that need to be changed. But if, if we allow God's generosity to flow through us, we will be a blessing to others and we will also bring glory to God. Again, coming back to verses 12 and 13. What's the result? Overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. They will glorify God. From the confession of the gospel flows the generosity, the contribution on whatever it is, a kind word, uh, a financial gift, a, a moment of time to care for someone else, uh, teaching a, a children's Sunday school class, wherever we, we may find ourselves. Ultimately, that ends in God's glory, which I think kind of paints a pretty cool circle because you start with, with confession. Jesus is Lord. And then we make a contribution of, of some kind, of our time, of our treasure, and our talent, and we bring people to his grace. We bring people into a relationship with Christ. We're used by God to that end. And then back again. Why? So that they will then join us in that confession and in, 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 in that use of God's generosity so that the next generation and the next generation and the next generation will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next week is Provision Sunday. We are very intentionally bringing our commitments, our promises to God to the end that he would use Green Tree Community Church, that he would use us individually and the gifts that he has given us and that he would use us corporately as a body of believers. My prayer for myself and my prayer for you is that we will come with a right attitude. I'm not so much worried about the numbers that you circle on your piece of paper. I'm concerned mostly about my own heart and about your heart that they would be generous hearts, not because we're compelled to because we feel guilty, but rather because we realize the generosity, or at least we're beginning to grasp the outer edge of, it, of the understanding of God's generosity to us. And he is changing our hearts so that his generosity will flow through us, which will allow us to be a blessing to others and bring glory to the name of our Lord Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the word of God, which doesn't point us to the Corinthian church and how great they were. It points us to your grace and your mercy and your compassion. It points us to, to Paul celebrating with them how the gospel had taken root in their hearts, 
So, Lord, we're at a, we're at a phase in our a life of our church where we're being stretched financially because we believe you've called us to put our roots down deeply in this community. And it's going to be quite the challenge. And yet, Lord, we read this morning that you supply every need we have in order for us to be generous. So, Lord, if we're building this building for the wrong reason, and if we're just doing it for us and because we want to be more comfortable, then, Lord, just let it be an abysmal failure and just stop dead in its tracks. Lord, put that land to some other use that would better glorify you. But, Lord, if we are following you in this, and in all the ministries of Green Tree, in our Sunday school classes, and our care through our Stephen ministers, and in and, and, and the ministry of the gospel, then, Lord, we pray that your generosity would flow to us in order that it could flow through us so that others would know Jesus, that he would be glorified, and that lives would be different for all of eternity. We pray in his name. Amen.